Hey guys, it's Kelly and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken podcast. So I am again with Sean from the Sitting with Sean podcast and this is part two. Um, If you haven't listened to part one already, I highly recommend you go and listen to that one first because you're going to be really lost if you haven't. So how are you doing, Sean? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Oh, God. Come on with the accent, really. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I'm in a good mood. All right. So where we left off on the last episode was you were talking about your drinking problem that kind of festered in the army, but basically was rooted in all of the childhood trauma and your that wife had gotten pregnant and you kind of felt like it was a fresh start to end the cycle of abuse and to end your addiction and everything. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so one thing that I didn't, I didn't mention, and and I'm going to say now, and it's just because I have the, the capacity to, and I can't get in trouble. One second. The army, um, is very much a facet in the military is very much a facet where um, they get you addicted. They allow you to get addicted. And then then when you do get addicted, you get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what was that saying with the, um, the 82nd, how it's all American and it's the two A's and they're like, yeah, the 82nd patch is the 82nd. Yeah. The 82nd patch has two A's on it in a square. And it's called, you know, it stands for all American, but it, it there's a common reference of, of Alcoholics Anonymous in there. Yeah, that is um, really bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, everywhere in the military is bad, you know, because there's not enough prevention. There's a whole a lot of encouragement. And, and so that's why I say the military is an enablers because they enable these actions. And then when you get, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. they're like little kids they're like little kids you know i didn't do it even though you encourage the action and they're terrible like do you remember when we had that big tree in front of our house and it fell down during one of the storms that we had we had yeah. that thing like the driveway cleared everything and somebody mentioned it to mitch's leadership and he actually got in trouble because we didn't call and tell them that our tree fell and he's like, I live off post. It was all, yeah. it was cleared up before the storm even stopped raining, but it's just like, they treat you like little kids. Like you don't know yeah. how, and it's like what Mitch's biggest struggle was he joined later in life. So his leadership was actually like almost 10 years younger than him in some cases. So he's like having 19 year olds yell at him for things. And yeah, like I, I had no identity when I was in the military, you know, yeah. I couldn't, I didn't know who I was. I was a fucking kid when I joined. And then, you know, I'm getting catapulted into being a parent. Not that I I regret being a parent at all. I love it. It's it's, it's fucking rewarding. And and a lot of times. Um, You got a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with with my daughter's mom, uh, you know, uh, there was a lot that went into that. You know, we were both kids. I was a kid. Uh, I was 23 years old when her and I, when she got pregnant and you guys didn't even know how to make stuffed peppers. Yeah. yeah, We didn't even know how to make stuffed peppers. I mean, there's (laughs) that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just had my baby on your couch. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had, uh, you know, uh, I had experience of being alone without my parents and she really didn't, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I'm going to say that there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah. we're in two different places in our life. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, we met under the pretenses of I was drinking. She was drinking. That's, that was our lifestyle. Like we, we'd go clubbing every weekend. And, uh, and, and so when we moved to Fort Bragg, uh, you know, um, we found out she was pregnant. I was like, I have a new lease on life, dude. Like, this is going to be a re this is going to give me a reason not to drink. This is gonna, you know, I'm going to be able to shove it in my dad's face and say, fuck you. I was a better parent than you ever will be. And, uh, and, and, and I'll have a reason to, to live now you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I go on my third deployment to Afghanistan and, uh, that was out of all of them the worst, uh, I seen the worst that humanity had to offer. Um, we were in, in Kabul province, uh, the big Southern Afghanistan where, uh, the, the home of the Taliban and mm -hmm. where they were formed and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I seen a, a, a bunch of dudes get injured and, and my best friend got blown up in front of me. And that was super traumatic. Cause like, even to this day, I can taste it. I can smell it. I can, I can, I, I can feel the heat on my, on my neck. I can, everything about that scenario. I remember And they say in traumatic situations, like you either remember everything or you don't remember anything. Mm -hmm. And I have the, I have the unfortunate pleasure of remembering everything Yeah. about it. It fucking sucks. Um, yeah, because Mitch is like that, but it's his PTSD is from the way the unit treated him. It's not from the deployment, but yeah. it's like he does okay with fireworks when we go to a show, but it's yeah. the ones that people set off like at their homes that really triggers him because he feels like he's in a gunfight. And I'm just like, babe, back to America. You're not in Afghanistan yeah. anymore. <laughs> So for me, so for me, it's a little different, like, and, and that's the thing that I really want to promote is, is not everybody's trauma response is going to be the same. Exactly. You know? But and, it's and, like, and, they, they do it where it's like a one size fits yeah. all. Yeah. And oh yeah. Yeah. They, they just throw you in a box and they say, you got PTSD. So automatically you have to be a psychopath and you have to be a fucking killer and you have, you know, you have, you have to uh be be this that and a third and it's like well that's not really it because trauma is, is relative trauma is relative to everybody you know so for me like when it comes to fireworks i'm okay with fireworks i i love yeah. fireworks dude uh you know i've been in fire more, uh, a fuck ton of firefights uh the thing that gets me is the ones that i don't expect so if i'm going to a fireworks show i know mm -hmm. to expect fireworks yeah, I'm in awe of them. I love them. I think they're beautiful. But if if I'm sitting there in my driveway and a car backfires, I'm losing my shit. I don't, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and there, there's a lot more things that happen with the trauma response for me uh, that I won't go into because it's just really detailed. Yeah. Um, um, and things that have happened once or twice that people are like, oh, that's got to happen all the time. It doesn't really happen all the time. I'm, but I've noticed that with a lot of survivors of uh, other childhood trauma and sex trafficking, too, it's like 
the unknown is the biggest trigger. Like if they know something's going to happen, it's like they did our roof the other day and it was just constant banging and I was fine because I knew it was going to be happening, but our dumpster is so loud. And if someone just slams it shut, like I can't handle that. It just, it gives me panic attacks, but it's like, even when I go to like doctor's offices or dentists, it's like, I tell them like, you have like, tell me everything you're about to do and I'll be fine. But if you just go through the motions without keeping me like in the loop, then it's just too, it's too much anxiety. Yeah. So like for me, another thing that like was really bad trauma response and I've learned to work through it, um, was, was potholes, uh, absolutely terrified, but I would be okay if I was driving. If I'm driving and I see a pothole and I hit it, I'm okay. If I'm in the passenger seat, different story, completely see, different Mitch story. Is, and he's the same, and I don't. He doesn't un- quite understand it, but he just says it's because of Afghanistan. But it's he's the same way, and it's like when we go down to Center City with the amount of traffic and congestion, he doesn't do well. And he gets like real anxious and he's, he's like, this is like Afghanistan. I'm like, weren't you in like the desert type, like cornfields? And he's like, yeah, but I, it's the same thing with potholes and crowded streets that bother yeah, him. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, if I go out, if I have to, and it's not that I, I find it more, I don't like to be around people and, yeah. and, And like, that's weird because I used to love to be around people. I used to fucking enjoy the company of other people. And now I'm like, dude, I enjoy the, the peace and serenity of, um, but you know, the time in that, uh, the, the time after I got back, dude, my life like changed, um, my, the whole concept of peace and serenity was gone for me completely gone uh you know i had i I came home to my daughter um i came home to a new kid and i was like okay well here's you know here's something that i can i can hold that's tangible um going to uh be a part of my life for the rest of my life and uh uh, so yeah I, i at that point i was like yeah you know, life is changing for me, but I feel like I'm going down this slippery fucking slope. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't understand like what was happening to me. Yeah. I tried to go to counselors and, and establish a rapport and a relationship with counselors. But those 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 counselors after three or four months would be gone and they transition out, which is the worst for anybody that is trying to go through any kind of recovery for uh, substance abuse, for uh trauma for any of that is is to establish a relationship and then that relationship you established is ripped away from you and there's no explanation because mitch was going to the va and it was just they were constantly changing who he was seeing even the person that was doing his meds and everything and i finally was like nope i'm taking you out of the va and we have private insurance through his work i'm like you're you're i'm putting you with my guys because you need something consistent like you can't build a relationship if they're leaving every couple of months yeah and it's terrible because 
we had the VA called and said that they were going to be able to get him in, that they had one person that could prescribe meds that was there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'm like, you don't see a problem with that. That's what you're doing to our veterans. And she's like, oh, I'm a veteran's wife. I'm like, then why aren't you mad? Because this is not okay. They need help. We send them over. We train them to kill and do all these unimaginable things. And then you have someone twice a week to deal with 100,000 veterans. Like, what is wrong with you? It's insane. It is. Um, You know, and then uh, I would... I would say probably about 2013, uh, we, my, my, my daughter's mom and I, we moved into an apartment, um, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And, um, you know, we were living in the hotel and, or not hotel, sorry, the apartment and, um, our apartment got broken into. And it was just one of those days where I was trying to get some things taken care of on base. And I needed her with me with, with our daughter, and I came back home and our front door was wide open. All of our electronics were gone. And we, when I say all electronics, I mean, yeah, there was, there was Samsung pads that were gone. There were TVs that were gone. My daughter's TV was gone. Uh, she had TV in her room to keep her asleep. Uh, uh, I had three Xboxes gone, computers gone. Just like literally dude came in and cleaned us out. I remember. And, well, that's actually how we met because yep. you posted about it and I offered yep. to keep yep. an eye out for places that were selling to see anything. But I remember you you did like a small typo in your post and said that your brother-in-law was home, but you met yep. wasn't home. And yep. everyone just jumped on your brother-in-law and was like, yep. he's the one who stole it. And I was just sitting here watching people like, and then they were saying you were lying and just looking for money. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, over a stupid typo. Like, come on. We yeah. all have cell phones well, with autocorrect. <laughs> people are vicious. Like, yeah. and that's people are vicious when it comes to a mistake. And and, and this is why I, I am so heavily like why I'm so heavily, heavily into like caring for people is because one mistake can onslaught a fucking barrage of insults mm-hmm. and, and people are vicious, especially in that community, you know, in, in that community at Fort Bragg, like absolutely vicious, absolutely toxic. And they fail to remember that they're humans and that they exactly. make mistakes. And, 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 and so that's going that's why Mitch's PTSD was surrounded by how the unit treated him. He didn't run very well. I mean, you, you've seen him. He's a big guy. He yeah. just is yeah. not a runner. And he kept looking down when he would run. So he wasn't getting enough oxygen. And I worked with him, but it was like, they would just like hound him and hound him. So I found out they were working out at one of the gyms over by the parade grounds. Yeah. So I went mm-hmm. to the gym and I found his uh, team leader and I was just like, listen, like, I, I don't want to be all dependent on you, but with my husband, if you point and tell him to do something, he's going to retract. And But if you say here, let's do this together, then he works. Yeah. He's just so much better that way. And his yeah. team leader actually came up to me quite a few months later and said, like, thanks for the advice. Like, I've been running with him and he's doing so much better, but it's like, 
Yeah. I shouldn't have had to tell them that. Like, but, you know, but that's just how they are. Well, well, see, the thing is, is when you're in the military, you're 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 privy to one or two styles of leadership. And unless there is there is some kind of interaction with an outside source that says, hey, look, dude, you're doing it wrong. I know him better. This is how yeah. it, how how it works with me then then they can put that into play but if they don't know that then it's then then they don't know and they're just going to continue to pile the this this fucking nonsense on onto them and and i'm really glad that you advocated for him that's fucking huge oh i got him in so much trouble we were (sighs) we were on leave and first they were denying his leave we had to go up for a a custody court hearing that he was subpoenaed to and his first sergeant, I think it was, um, was trying to deny it. And I actually called the brigade sergeant and or I think he was a sergeant major. And mm-hmm. I knew his daughter from high school. And I was just like, this is like not cool, dude. We put this in and like eight or in December, it's April. Like, so they got all mm-hmm. mad at him because I would always intervene. But it was like. I tried hard not to be a dependa, but yeah. it's really hard not to be. But they like they called and they were like yelling at me because he was driving and they're like, we need you to sign a form to speak to your attorney. I'm like, fuck you. I'm a civilian. You won't. I'm not yeah. breaking client attorney privilege. Absolutely. And then they hung um, his team leader hung up on me and I call back. I'm like, I'm not one of your fucking Joe's, dude. Like, first off, you shouldn't treat your Joes the way you just treated me, let alone a wife. But it was like suck because like his leadership was his roommate when he first got back from deployment. So I knew him. I was friends with him. And then once he got in his stripes, he was just like changed. Exactly. And it was like all they wanted to do was yell and yell and yell. And they say they don't haze or smoke anymore, but they do. And and when he reported to IG about the smoking, then a, a lot of things changed in his mm-hmm. company, but they pushed him out as soon as they found out that he filed the complaint against them. So he was just like, whatever. I don't care. I don't yeah. want to be in the army anymore, but it nice. is, it's, it's like the most toxic environment. And God forbid, if you're a wife that has a big mouth, like I do, <laughs> Yeah. Well, about 2013, you know, is when we met and, and I'm gracious or, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you came into my life, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, uh, because I am, I am, you know, because you, you were one of those, you were one of those people that, that, that had my back regardless. And, um, you know, you always did your best to, to help me out in any kind of way. And, you know, for anybody that doesn't, well, you guys don't know, but um, when I left for deployment, Kelly looked out for my, for my daughter and ex-wife, you know, my daughter's yeah. mom and, and, and was oh there God. when, when to make sure that, that everything was going smoothly. And when it didn't, she would tell me about it. Emma and was I really, so cute. Yeah. She, I remember we were sitting in the food court and she looked up at the sun and she's like, aunt Kelly, my dad is feeling the same son I am. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like crying. She's like, don't cry. Daddy's coming home. I'm like, like, I can't take Um, it. Yeah. And and it's crazy because Emma's a spitting image of me. 
and she uh, she's she's like a, a younger version of me and it, and it's insane you know just talking her now and seeing how every, fucking brilliant she is every time when she she was what three when owen was born yeah and every time she came over she had to give him a bottle like she wouldn't even let yeah. me feed my own child i'm like yeah. all right emma so you can feed the baby <laughs> yeah she's she's the sweetest kid uh but you know and, and then i <sighs> On that deployment, man, like I was sitting there and it was 2014 and we weren't really doing anything, which is fucking insane to me because I'm in a combat unit. We're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And and my brain started going a million miles an hour. And I was like, OK, well, let me think here. Let let me see. Am I in love with my wife? No. And neither was I. Do I love the concept of her? I, I like the concept of not being alone. That's mm-hmm. what I felt at that time. I love the concept of not being alone. Did I love her? Yes. I loved her because she was my daughter's mom, but I wasn't in love with her. And I would much rather raise my daughter in a household where two people, you know, two separate families can love her equally and work together than, than one household hating each other. I didn't mm-hmm. want her to grow up the way that I did. Yeah. So I, I told, I told my daughter's mom and I'm, I'm specifically keeping it my daughter's mom because, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want her to be upset, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I said, Hey, look, uh, I'm not in love with you. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And, and it created the shit storm. That, that, that was super traumatic. And, and, and when I mean super traumatic, like my name got shoved through the mud. Um, there was accusations made about me that were really traumatic to me. Um, going from uh, cheating to, uh, to assault. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, I've never laid a hand on her. Like, are you fucking serious? Like, I did not commit and- a felony when those came out, just to be clear. Um, you know, and and it, it took me to this point where I started isolating and, uh, I isolated to the point where, um, you know, I had a group of people that met me at, you know, at the airport at Pope, I I think it was Pope airfield. Uh, but they had no clue as to like who I was. I never hung out with them. I didn't know them before this. I just met them online. They were a support group for me. And, um, she gave them nasty looks because she was logging in my Facebook, seeing that I was talking to these people. She wouldn't even and, let me send you a care package. Yeah, I know. I was like, and, she's like, oh, I'm already getting that for him. I'm like, really? You're getting him a pillow. Right. You know, it, it's not that big of a deal, you know, yeah. but I got home and she did everything in her power to make my life a living hell. You know, she'd say, Hey, look, you can have the car this day. And I'd be like, all right, cool. So I take the car and then she'd call my chain of command and say that I'm driving around brag drunk. Um, or that I'm committing adultery, even though we had been separated and like we were separated or whatever, but by the army's terms. Yeah. I was going to say for my listeners, any, but like you're, can't have sexual encounters while you're married or with somebody that is married, even if they're legally separated. Yep. And nobody under the age of 18, no matter how old you are. Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, so I had met somebody at that time that I was talking to, but like not, we, uh, we weren't in any kind of relationship. We were just friends. 
and uh, I was hanging out with her a lot and um, she was my age and um, you know, I was like, man, you know, she's really fucking cool, but I cannot, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a move until I'm married. Till you're divorced, you mean? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, till I'm divorced. Wow, <laughs> till I'm married. Wow. That I was, I was, I was foreshadowing. I was foreshadowing what was going to happen in the future. Anyways, um, so I got divorced in October of 2015, and uh, we had to wait a year. Anyways, uh, in that time, stupid. That stupid. North Carolina stupid. makes you do that. Yeah. Um. So in that time. My daughter's mom uh, had to move, uh, decided, not had to, but decided to move down to, to Columbus, Georgia, which is Fort Benning. And um, I had to drive her and all her stuff down there. And so we get down there, and, and I don't think I've told you this, but, you know, we get down there. And um, one of the things that still fucks with me today, which it's never not going to, um. I was unloading their stuff and I'm, I'm about to about to leave. And Emma looks at me and she says, dad, don't go. And um, yeah, and I was like, but I have to. And she says, dad, I don't want you to go. And I remember when I was a kid saying that to my dad. And mm. I remember, I remember as a kid begging my dad not to go. And in that moment, everything came into perspective for me. Like, I am just like my dad. I, I mean, it's scary because I'm a spitting image of my father. You're talking to me. I sound just like my dad. I have my dad's mannerisms. I have my dad's addiction. I have my dad's mental state. I have literally my dad, everything about my dad. And now I've just done something my dad did and I promised myself I would never fucking do that and it hit me all at once and and I had I, I left and for that whole eight hour drive home I cried uh, every bit of it I made sure I had a buddy with me so that I did so I didn't do anything yeah. fucking stupid but I cried the whole way home and I got weekends you know I got to I got to go and um and um I got to go down to Fort Benning every once a weekend on a four day. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a not, not a lot of time in that time. I did tell my daughter's mom, Hey, I'm dating somebody. And I said, I really want you want to introduce you. And, and she was really nasty, really ugly to her. And I, you know, I was like, yeah, there's no fucking need for that, dude. Like she's going to be a part of Emma's life. Yeah. Fast forward a few years. I was wrong. Regardless, um, I got into a relationship with this other woman, and I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that I told you so. Just, yeah. Um, Is that, you see, there's a lot of people that seen red flags, and there's some that said the red flags, and then others that didn't. I was in the mind frame at that time. I didn't want to be alone. Uh, I, I don't think that I was okay to be alone. Uh, but on top of that, um, I wanted to see her for who she was or who I felt she was not for what other people perceived her to be. Now there was a lot of times where like, I should have, I should have been gone. Like I should have left. 
And that would have been better for me. Maybe I wouldn't have been in the predicament that I was in later in life. But I was like, you know, stick it out, stick it out, stick it out. Um, and not to mention, we were all so overprotected because of what happened with the mm-hmm. first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, in that time, um, I had to cut communication with all my friends. Literally, she was like, you can't have friends. You got to have my friends and my family. And like, that was rough on me because I was a social butterfly. I had Kelly in my life. And now all of a sudden, oh, she's out of my life. Mitch had to hide the car keys. <laughs> I yeah, was yeah. like, I'll, um, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, there was points in time where she loved to argue with me to the point where like she would, ar- she, she would continue an argument and, and I didn't want to fight. I have no fight left in me, but she wanted to fight. And she kept me up till about three in the morning on a work day. I did get up at five and drive into work. And I fell asleep behind the wheel, almost wrecked the truck because she wanted to feel justified. And so when I got home, um, she was like, well, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I said, you are hazard to my health, literally a fucking hazard to my health. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, and I ended up getting divorced in 2015 and not even 20, not, not even 12 hours later, I was remarried. Mm-hmm. And people are like, dude, what is wrong with you? And, and I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's people that literally turn around well, and, and an hour later. When, remember when we talked and I'm like, you've had three marriages. As long as I've known you, I've yeah. had one. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe don't yeah. marry this next. I mean, I love your current wife and I'm totally yeah. going to steal her from you. But um, <laughs> but it was just like I could see the cycle and it's yeah. I mean, like no, no judgment at all. But it's this is the cycle of abuse. It's like, yeah, you did not turn into an abuser, but you continued to stay in very toxic, abusive situations oh, yeah. because that's what love was to you. And yeah. I mean, I did yeah, the love. same thing for, I did the same thing for the longest time until I luckily met my current husband. Um, I still don't get why yeah. he's with me. I drive him absolutely <laughs> I ask insane. Myself, same thing. Well, I don't I ask why him. Mitch is with you. I said, why is Michelle with me? You know? Yeah. But it's like, I keep sending him at, like articles and he's like, why are you sending me articles of people being killed by wild animals? I'm like, I'm just letting yeah. you know how I'm going to die because <laughs> they all get too close and i'm gonna die yeah. via giraffe <laughs> well so you know um i end up getting promoted to staff sergeant in the army and i was like life is moving up like i'm doing better i was sober at the time i wasn't drinking because the last time that i did i looked at at i was in a complete blackout and i looked at at my ex-wife my second wife and i said i'm gonna fucking kill you and uh it was just reflections of my dad more reflections of my dad and so when i got promoted staff sergeant um e6 i my my list opened up and they're like where do you want to go and i was like fuck i gave her the list and i said where do you want to go and she said alaska and i was like all right you're I'm lucky here. you got it because it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> well, army. Well, where do you want to go new york Missouri or Kansas. Okay, we're sending Three you to places. Germany. Jesus. <laughs> right. Um, so so I ended up 
moving up here with her and everybody with her and her kids she had three kids and when we got up here everything changed yeah she didn't want like like i i never asked her to work but i said it would help out with finances because i'm fronting everything and then we're broke at the end of the day yeah and uh when when her when her youngest started school she 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 got a job at the courthouse working at the courthouse and then she would say hey look i'm gonna go out with my friends but like i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna hang out and we're gonna you know whatever i'll be back by like five you know five rolls around she's not home nine rolls around she's not home midnight rolls around she's not home three in the fucking morning she strolls in right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. i remember all of this um, yeah, and I had to carry her upstairs. And mind you, I'm sober, so like, but I'm not working a program. Um, I'm really like, fuck, man, that could have been me. Um, mm-hmm. Emma comes up for for a Christmas, and this was in 2018, uh, 2017, leading into 2018. And I'm starting to watch, like, at this point in my life, like, I'm watching everything around me because like things aren't making sense to me, and I see yeah. that life is not okay. And that my relationship is not okay, but I'm not saying anything. I'm gathering evidence so I can present it when I'm ready. And uh, I'm seeing that she's not paying attention to Emma at all. She's not interacting with Emma at all. Emma would ask to cuddle. She'd say no. And that really. Who could say ooh. no to that poor ch- that child? She's so cute. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it got to a point where I was like, it got to a point where I was like, there is something seriously wrong and it needs to be addressed. So when Emma left um, a few days later, I was like, Hey, look, this is what I've seen. And it wasn't like I was confrontational. Hey, look, this is what I've seen. This, it, it bothers me. Get the fuck out of more, my house. Yeah. She looked at me and said, get the fuck out of my house. And this was the one with the moldy dishes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck am I supposed to so I ended up calling one of my one of the guys that worked with me and he was like, yeah, come stay at my house. So I stayed gone for a few days and I came back and um, she was like, well, by the way, I think we should have an open relationship. And I'm like, what? Which is I'm good like, for I've been cheating on you yeah, <laughs> in most cases. Not, yeah. And so um I'm like, I don't agree with that, but if that's something that you want and it's going to make you happy, go for it, but I'm not going to do anything. And then she is like, we got into another argument. She's like, get the fuck out of my house. And so this time I stayed gone for two weeks and I came back. And when I mean gone for two weeks, like I did not pop my head in. I grabbed enough clothes, all my uniforms. My buddy was letting me stay at his house. I said, when I get paid, I will contribute to food. And he's like, okay, so... I stayed at his house and then I said, Hey, look, I got to go back home just to get, you know, more clothes, whatever. So I go back to the house and she's like, will you watch the kids? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. So she's like, I just, I haven't been able to, to get out of the house. And I was like, all right, yeah, whatever. So I watched the kids and she's like, I'll be back in the morning. And I'm like, so I find out that she's been out with this guy. And, and but it's not just that time it's been like he's been at the house he's been in my room in my bed like and then i find out it happened before she even asked me and i was like dude what the fuck and like that's when i got mad when i got mad and i was like i want nothing to do with you i want a divorce and that 2018 was probably one of the worst years of my life um she 
she, you know, made life a living fucking hell for me when, when I said I wanted a divorce. And mind you, this is my second divorce. So I'm like, I am terrible at relationships. I'm, I, I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve good things. Cinco de Mayo 2018, I, I relapsed really hard. And um, that lasted for a month. And uh, I had it in my head that like nobody cared about me, but I wanted to prove it. And so uh, one night, uh, June 1st, I sat down with my phone down at one of the lakes here, lake beds here, that everybody goes camping and, and does bonfires and stuff. And I said, I'm going to make some calls. And if nobody picks up, I'm going to end my life tonight. So I made 32 phone calls, but I made 32 phone calls to the wrong people, to the people that I considered cared about me. Exactly. And uh, I sat there and I made the calls. Nobody picked up and I said, fuck it. It's it game on. So I drank enough to kill a small army. And when I mean like I drank about five bottles, it just boom, 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 one after the other. I didn't stop. And I got behind the wheel of my car and I I fucking drove out to a a secluded area and I put my, my car into it or my truck into a tree at 70 miles an hour. And I wanted, I wanted to be over. I wanted the pain to be over. I was sick of living. Um, I wanted, uh, and that's the first time. And the only time I wanted to be dead, I I was sick of it all. And and people were like, Oh, well, you know, you got a daughter, you got a kid. And I was like, yeah, you know what? And she's in good hands. She's in fucking good hands. She's, she's with parents that care about her. She doesn't need me. I'm just a fucking waste of space. I've already let her down. And uh, I got to that point, man. And then, like, uh, I wanted to be done. So when I woke up in the hospital, I was very surprised. But I woke up in the hospital and my ex-wife was there. And she's like, you're fucking stupid for doing what you did. And, and, and to me, I, that's not what I needed. I needed a little empathy, a little compassion. And, uh, you know, my first heart came and he said the same thing. He was like, you're fucking stupid for doing that. Like, I don't understand. I said, I really wish you understood where I was in my life or what, where I am in my life. And I explained it. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm going through a divorce. And, and I said, well, you're a fucking, you're states away, dude. You don't have to stare her in the fucking face every day. I said, she's not, she's not decimating your fucking life. Like mine is. And. And he, he, uh, he just didn't understand and and that made it worse. And so I went home and I took a shower and I cleaned up and uh, a good buddy of mine, Jeremy Shadewald, I'll never forget him. He, uh, he came to my house and he said, look, man, I I think that you should stay with me. And so I stayed with him and I I hid my face, my face all fucked up. And, um, I hid my face and I, I laid down and I realized I needed some help because the way that I'm living is not a way to live. And so I, I went to the J bear clinic the next day and I, I, I enrolled myself into inpatient care. And I said, I, I attempted suicide and this is not how I'm supposed to, it's not, I'm not in the right mind frame. So I did inpatient for 11 days, did outpatient for 11 days. And in that 11 days, I learned so much, but the one thing that I learned is you can't force people to love you, even if you want them to. And so I, I had one last ditch effort and I sat down, I wrote my ex-wife a letter and I said, I would much uh, appreciate it if you came here and you listened to this, what I had to say. And I said, I don't want you to talk. I just want you to hear what I have to say. And I read this letter and it was like, I was talking to a wall and that's when I realized like, it's done. I have, there's nothing left. There's no fight. There's nothing. I cannot continue living this way. And so I told her I want a divorce. It's done. It's over. And I did not let her affect me for the rest of the time. Um, 
I set boundaries in place and those boundaries were not respected. And so uh, those boundaries continue to stay in place until she left. Um, and, and in that time, she made me the worst, like public enemy number one. She made me public enemy number one, which is, I mean, characteristic of narcissists. Um, yeah. I got divorced. And you in uh, turn isolated from all yeah. of us. I mean, I don't I think I found out until months later. Yeah. And I remember when he told me after I hung up the phone, I just started punching my pillow and told Mitch everything. And he's like, why didn't he call you? I'm like, because I would have talked him out of it. Yeah. I, like, I didn't want to be talked out of it. Think of. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was going to ask, do you think like the 32 calls you purposely called people you knew wouldn't pick up? Well, I wanted to just, I wanted to feel justified in the way that I was feeling, you know, and I, and I can yeah. say that now, like I wanted to feel justified. I wanted, I wanted to be like, see, I told you nobody gave a fuck about me. And, and that's how I felt, you know, I didn't want somebody to be like, don't do it because then I would have been like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to do it. Um, I, I didn't want to be saved. And, and mm-hmm. you know, there's that, there's that portion of, of, of suicide. There's people that don't want to be saved. And there's no mm-hmm. way that you can save them. And that's what I say now to other people that are either A, survivors, or, or B, are family members of people that committed suicide. I say, you couldn't save them. And it's not, I'm not saying that as being an asshole. There's not a fucking single thing that you could do to save that person because they didn't want to be on this earth anymore. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be on this earth anymore. Yeah, I so know. I we had... Um, my husband's cousin attempted and, um, I don't want to get too much into details. It's not my story to tell, but I was talking to his aunt who I'm still really close with. And she's like, it's so selfish. And I was like, you know, I don't think it is selfish. I think they realized how much pain they were in and they saw how much pain they were causing others because of their pain. So if they took themselves out of the equation, then the pain they were inflicting on others would go away as well. So I don't think it's selfish. And she's like, you know, I never really thought about it that way. Well, that, and then I know for me, like, I didn't see a way out there. To me, there was no end. There was no end in sight. All it was, was pain and heartache and sorrow. And I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, so and the love of your that life was fan. married already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then I got divorced in October, you know, and, and I was like, fuck, I'm happy again. You know, I was Why living do you, my life like, again. How many times did you get divorced in the month I got married? Because we were married in October. So this is what, two divorces in October? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should yeah. send Michelle on vacation every October. <laughs> well, I mean, we just we just hit our three years, and there's there's a I, so I, awesome. I told like, yeah, yeah, it really is, because uh, I I told her I said, she's look, man, so good to you, she is, which is she's a lot coming from me. me. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's the best thing that I ever happened like. to me, and now, so so I met I met my wife, my current wife, Michelle, um, through mutual friends. I was out. I, I felt like I was in a safer place to go date. And, um, so I was out dating around and not getting myself to anything, you know, I wasn't a man whore, but I wasn't like, I wasn't committed. Yes, you were. Uh, I mean, <laughs> okay. Okay. I tried to be nice. Uh, I was a man whore 
anyways. So okay. Uh, so, uh, but but if I was if I was talking to somebody, I was talking to them. I was talking to them and and ninety other women. Yeah. Um, and, and so I was dating this woman. I'm not gonna say her name. Uh, more like a girl. And and I and she introduced me to Michelle as her best friend. And she said, you know, come sit with my best friend. Uh, I'm gonna go outside and talk to somebody else. I was like, well, you left me here with somebody for an hour. <laughs> So yeah. like Michelle and I got to talking and it was like, I had known her. She is mind amazing. You, mind you in a roundabout way. Yeah. She's awesome. Uh, you know, in a roundabout way, um, I had known her. I'd met her many times online, but I wasn't in a place to, I was presenting a situation that was completely crazy. And, and I was talking to her and I I'd ran across her many times, many of her different profiles yeah. online. And, and it just never, we, it never came to fruition. And, and um, so when I sat down, I talked to her, it was like, I had known her for a long time and, and we connected on a much deeper level than anybody that I had ever encountered, even my two ex-wives. And so I sat there and like, I would call my mom and say, look, I met somebody and she's fucking awesome, but I'm dating somebody and I can't do that. I can't do that to her. And so I, I took a sabbatical from the girls dating at the time, her best friend. And uh, I said, look, I need some time for myself. And that time she never checked up on me, never texted me, never called me, never nothing. And I was like, well, I know where I stand. Like, yeah. I'm just another dude in this long line of fucking dudes. I know. I remember and when so you met her and texted me i'm like do not marry her <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember that and so uh you know michelle actually reached out to me and i i was like she was like she's like hey um what's going on with you and 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 my friend and and i said well you know this is the lowdown and i'm thinking about breaking up with her and she's like i said i don't want to do it over text because that, that's that's an, an insincere and she was like well you've been it yeah she was like you she's been insincere to you so why not I was like, all right, cool. And she's like, so what would you say if you did? And I, I sent her a, a thing. And pretty much I said, it's me. It's not you. Like, I'm not in a position right now to date anybody, blah, blah. And she was like, that looks good. You should send that. And I sent it. And as soon as I sent it, she was like, okay, now what's up with you and me? And I was like, oh, there's a <laughs> hidden agenda there. She shot her shot. And so, you know, that led into us, you know, hanging out and, and, I have never met a woman like Michelle. And, and, and when I mean I have never met a woman like Michelle, I mean I have never met a woman like Michelle. <clears throat> I, was, I was broke. Okay, maybe you. All right. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Michelle, when I first met her, um, all she wanted to do was spend time with me. Like, like that's the only thing she wanted to do. Yeah. That's how it um, was with Mitch, too. When he first yeah. got home, it was just quality time sit down watch movies yeah we didn't do anything other than just sit in his barracks room and watch tv and yeah sometimes he would read and i would just lay on his chest and read a book and i like 10 hours would go by and i'm like maybe we should try to eat something <laughs> yeah you know i i had i'd gotten a flat tire and um i was like yeah i told her i said i'm so fucking broke right now i can't even afford to get a new tire she said, can you meet me over at this tire store? And I said, 
I can you know, attempt to make it over there. She paid for the new tire. Aww. And I said, I don't, and we weren't like, we had just started dating. And I said, you don't have to do that for me. And she said, you know what happens if you have a flat tire? And I said, what? She's like, you cannot come and see me because I can't always make it over to you. Yeah. And she's like, all I want to do is spend time with you. And, and, and in that moment, I fell in love with her because you meet women that are like, you have to do for me and I will do the bare minimum. And this woman was, it was, was willing to do for me with nothing in return. And I was like, I've been looking for this my whole life. Like somebody who gives someone who cares about me, not what I can give to them. Yeah. Cause that was the same thing with Mitch. We started off as pen pals while he was in Afghanistan. And I had a couple that one guy, that was in rehab, another guy that was in Iraq. And it was like, I would write them these big, long emails or letters and nothing. And the first response I got back from Mitch was longer than the one I sent him. And I was like, I am floored. Like, I can't believe you actually took time to write me. And we have over 500 emails, over 22,000 Facebook messages just in five months. But it's like- Looking back, it's like if I had met him even a year before I did, I wasn't in the right place. It's like he came into my life at the exact moment that I was ready for him and when I needed him. And yeah. we celebrate 10 years being married in October. It's that's awesome. It's it's, it's insane, weird huh? though. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like oh. I mean, I was married to my ex-husband for less than two years. And every other relationship before them was like two weeks, three weeks. And it was, I was always devastated even after like a week, because it was like, I wanted that love. And it's like, I finally did find it with my husband. And if I had met him any sooner, I would have pushed him away and I would have been terrible to him. But it's like, I finally got my shit together. And then he just, he says, I was like an angel that fell into his lap. I asked him all the time. I'm like, you still think that? I mean, I have eight turtles. And I mean, do you still think I was an angel? He's like, I mean, maybe not quite an angel, but you, you were, you were a gift. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's weird how so it just happens, that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It how, sounds how like you had that with Mich- And how that seems like how you had it with Michelle. Yeah. From that moment forward, like we have been inseparable, you know, and like, I can't imagine a a day without her and, and I couldn't imagine a day without her. And it was to the point where like, if I wasn't going to her house, she was coming to mine, uh, within four months. No shit. Within um, two months, I said, do you want to move in? And she's like, yeah. And so she moved in with me and, and and it's been a blessing. I mean, you know, there's been times where like I've been absolutely terrible to her and, and, and I'll be the first to, to admit it. Like I, I was terrible to her and 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 she deserved better. Um, but the the TikTok I made was about love. And, and this is what I wanted to talk about in this is that I re- I had to I had to go through all the shitty relationships to realize that like that I didn't love myself. Because everything I had been through in my life, I, you know, with my dad, with the army, with the relationships, with life in general, 
I didn't know who I was. And, and I didn't, I, yeah. I could, I felt like I couldn't love myself because I'm just this fucked up individual. And, um, you know, I, I relapsed in, um, and, and on 4th of July, 20, uh, 2019. And that relapse lasted for six months and it landed me in jail. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but it landed me in jail. And when I sat in jail, I blamed everybody for my problems. And I said, I said, you know, my wife is the reason why um, I'm in jail or why I drank so much because she enabled me to uh, my roommate. He's, he's in jail because he could, or, you know, he's, he's at fault because, you know, he allowed me to drink that much. He could have choked me out and, and, Mm-hmm. It would have been history, but here I am. And I blamed everybody for my problems. And and I had an old native man sit down and he was like, look, man, you create all these fucking problems for yourself. When you accept that, you're be much better off. And so I yeah. sat down and I was like, I was like, you know what? Maybe he's right. And, and I sat down and, and contemplated everything he said. And I said, you know what? He's right. He is right. I, I didn't make all these fucking mistakes. And that was the day my bail got posted. That was the day that my, my, my wonderful ankle jewelry got put on me. Um, and I had uh, one of those too. I had two of them. I had a location and I had alcohol. It was, it was very I uncomfortable. Just had a locator. I was um, pregnant when I had it with my oldest daughter. And I mean, they were the, my doctor was fighting the judge to have it taken off because I was just getting bigger and bigger from the pregnancy. Pregnant. It was, yeah. when they finally did take it off, there was like bruises on my leg. Yeah, uh, And it was like my house arrest officer was such an asshole about it because he's like, I'm sorry, I got to do this. And he just takes it off. And I thought I was going to jail. And he's yeah. like, oh, by the way, you're done house arrest. I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> why did you have to give uh, me a heart attack? You could push me into labor. <laughs> yeah. And, and through that, I went into therapeutic court and I'll say therapeutic court saved my life. Um, no, they it, it, it's not like you're like a punitive court system. It's a therapeutic court system where you get rewarded based off of the progress you make. And so, um, you know, initially I went in with the ankle monitors. Uh, I was not able to go home. Um, and, but Michelle supported me every step of the way she was at every hearing, regardless as to, and it was every Monday, like she had to go to work and she told work, Hey, I need this day off so i can yeah. go to court and she was there every court hearing even when i wasn't able to go home and i'm eternally blessed that this woman is is my wife and a part of my life you know um she supported me every step of the way she's seen the progress i was making eventually i was allowed to go home you know it, it was step by step so like phone calls um and public meetings overnight and then home and um when i when I was finally able to go home, it was like things changed, but it was, it was beautiful. Um, you know, and, and then, so, so through that, um, th- so through that, uh, and all the programs and graduating and stuff, I, I got entered, uh, introduced to peer support and, and essentially what peer support is for anybody that doesn't know peer support is, uh, programs where people are kind of like counselors, but not really, uh, but they help you get sober and stay sober and help you with mental health disorders and, and get your resources and stuff like that. And I seen what Pierce was doing and go ahead. They're mostly people that have already gone through it. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yep. Yep. Peer support. Well, yeah. And family members too. Like there's a, a lot of family members of, of people in, that are suffering from addiction and mental health disorders. Um, but the people that actually go through it are the, are, are, are the best candidates because we know what it looks like and what it feels like. And um, so I got peer support certified and uh, well, it's not on camera, it's on audio, but right behind me is my certificate. Uh, I, I got fully certified this year. And uh, it's been an absolute blessing to work in this field. And I love what I do. Um, it's a blessing. And, and every day being sober and, and working on my program and working on myself and doing my podcast and being on podcast, being able to share my story. It's a new adventure. And I love it. Yeah. I just celebrated one year last week of my podcast. And I'm just, I can't even believe it. I'm like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it's It's been a year already, but it's, it is, it's like, it's so therapeutic just to sit and talk. And it's half the time I pull out my computer and my mic. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. I just wing it. And I look up and I'm like, oh crap, I've been talking for 45 minutes. I got to end this, but it's just yeah. amazing, well, though, to hear how you started way back as a child, which, I mean, very similar to my childhood that was just consistent trauma to now actually helping people, which yeah. that's why I do it. I, I don't I don't take money. I, I mean, I, I mean, if someone donates, I don't give it back, but I don't ask for yeah. money. I don't ask for anything. I just want someone out there to feel less lonely. And if someone, I mean, I know for me, while you were going through all that, it was so hard because it was like, I wanted to just go up there and just smack the stupid out of you, but struggle or struggling with my own addiction in the past, I knew like I had to just stop. Like I couldn't make you see what was happening. You had to see it on your own, but it's like, I feel like there's a lot of family members out there that they just don't understand. Like you can't help someone until they're ready. And yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't love, you can't, you can't begin to accept love and you can't begin to help others until you're able to help yourself. Yeah. And it's, and it's it's hard. I know there's a lot of, there was a lot of uh, controversy around 13 reasons why the series but I loved how, have you ever seen it? No, I have not, but I I hear about it all the time from the show. Well, Clay, the main character, he's like towards the end of the first season, he says like he realized he couldn't love her back to life. And it's, it's just like those words just sank so deep because it was like when I was at my lowest, it was like no one could love me enough to get me out of my rock bottom. I had to get yeah. myself out. I had lost, you know, I'd lost my apartment, lost my kids, lost pretty much everything and was blaming the sex trafficking and the abuse and all of that. And it's like, I had to accept responsibility, which was so hard to do. And yeah. that's when I finally was able to change everything. But it was yeah. like, I lost so many people because they're just, they just kept going away and it's like I have people that come to me now and I'm just like they you are either going to watch them do this to them or don't talk to them and let them hit rock bottom because they need to lose everything to change themselves and it's like people are like that's so harsh I'm like it is but it's what they need 
I was like, your only two options is to watch them kill themselves with their addiction or just separate yourself and let them hit the rock bottom and then they'll come back to you. And most of the time they come back thanking you, you know, it's, I had a really good friend that um, she said some pretty nasty things. And eventually when I reconnected with her, I was like, you know what? I didn't hear it at the time, but it was what I needed to hear. Yeah. You know, but your story um, is incredible. Just how much you've changed since like everything. Yeah. Yeah. I want to cry. I'm like crying though. (laughs) I just, (laughs) ugh. One of, one of the things is uh, I hear all the time from people is you're doing such a good job, you know, with your podcast, you're doing such a good job. And, and I have to really stop them and say, look, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing, it has nothing to do with me. I'm the catalyst for other people to share their story because somebody gave me a platform to share my story. And this has to do with me. One episode is about me. That's it. The rest of it is about mm-hmm. everybody else. And, and and that's what I really want to push is that is, you know, in my own, in my own podcast is that, you know, we all have a story and we all come from someplace. And if we're able to affect somebody's life or we're able to change the way that somebody sees things, then, then maybe you won't feel so alone. Yeah. And, and I have people that are coming out of the woodwork, like Ellie, you jumped on and you're like, Hey, when are you going to interview me? Well, <laughs> chum on yeah, now. So to all my listeners, my episode has already been published. If you want to hop over and listen, it's a totally different aspect of my story. I don't talk about the trafficking. I talk strictly about my addiction problems, which Absolutely. is hard to talk about, but yeah, if, I actually uh, and, listened. And- I was, I actually listened to my very first podcast episode. And in like the first couple of sentences, I said, you know, I think if we start to look at sex trafficking through the eyes of the survivor, we can really make a difference. And I think the same goes with you and your podcast about addiction is looking at it humanizes addicts and it stops that stigma that so many people have. So I'm so thankful that you had me on as a guest and that you came on to mine, but we have talked for a very long time. (laughs) So, um, Real quick, before we go, I ask all of my guests if there was anything or any kind of advice that you wanted to give to anyone that's listening that may have gone through something similar to you, what advice would you give them? Uh, well, first, uh, I would say that what you're going through is temporary, um, that it's not forever, that you can get better, but there's a lot of work. Um, you know, that the harder that you work on yourself, the harder that the, the, the better off you're going to be. And, and when you start working on yourself, it's going to, other people are going to notice. And, and, and when other people notice, it's going to affect them. Like, I, I didn't realize the effect I was having on other people because I was working on myself. Other people seen what I had and they wanted it. And they were like, how do I get it? Well, this is how I got it. It's not, it may work for you, may not work for you, but I can help you find out what does work for you. And then just be available, be, be available, be transparent because you cannot get better. If you're not transparent, if you're not, if if you, if you hide things and it's going to hurt, it's going to suck sometimes talking about those things that hurt, 
but on the backside, it's so much better because if you hold that in, you bottle it in, you'll end up like me for years. I was lost. And, and for years, I didn't know who I was. Now I can identify who I am. And, and it's such a good feeling to be able to say that. No, well, it's certainly amazing advice that I completely relate with. It's you have to start realizing that the lies you're telling other people, you're also telling yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. thank you so much for coming on. I'm so honored that you shared your story, a lot of which I haven't even heard yet. And we've been friends for like 10 years now. So yeah, I really do appreciate you opening up. And that's really what I want for my podcast is a safe place for survivors just to tell their stories. Because there's someone out there that is just sitting there feeling all alone, like nobody understands. And unfortunately, the way these people are wired, they all pretty much act the same. So absolutely. But <clears throat> thank you. To all my listeners, for your continued love and support, and I hope you all have a good week. Talk to you soon.